Uh, Emmanuel Part 3, as I said, we've looked at um, God the Father first. Um, He's in our every breath. And when we choose to connect with that, it transforms the way um, we can, I suppose, cope with whatever happens in life. Uh, And then Jesus gives us that, uh, that mirror of what does God look like? And uh, we look at the person Jesus and see what God looks like, but also see the potential of what we could be like if we choose to follow his example. Um, so today we look at the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, the Holy Spirit is, is a really interesting element. Um, it's probably something that has been ignored by quite a lot of sections of the church because it is a bit of mystery. Um, but when you look through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is involved in loads, like from the beginning, the Holy Spirit is involved. But you don't see an awful lot of mention of it throughout the early parts of the Bible. Um, but what we do see is in the creation story is where the Holy Spirit is introduced. And it talks about how just as the world is being created, it talks about the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. And what's interesting in that image of before the world was was created as we know it now. The Spirit of God was involved, was there. And there's this sense of anticipation. As the Spirit hovers, it's this sense of anticipation that there's something new about to happen and something new about to start. Um, So when you look back and say, well, there's certain times in in the kind of, in the Bible um, stories that we look at and go, that's the time of the Holy Spirit. But actually, the Holy Spirit was around from the beginning. But the difference was, what happened was, it was involved in creation and you see snippets of time where the Holy Spirit comes in uh, and, and um, I suppose, is at work in different situations. And in the Old Testament, what you find is as it goes through, it talks about various people, there's certain people that it picks out in different stories and it says, God anointed them with the Holy Spirit in order to do this task at this time. So the Holy Spirit was around, but it wasn't available to everyone. All it was, was it was almost this special thing, this gift that was given to a particular person at a particular time for a particular task. So you see it throughout different stories in in the Old Testament where people are are given this, this ability to do something way beyond their normal skills and abilities because God has given them the spirit uh, and anointed them to do it so that they could do the most amazing things. Um, and you see it in some slightly interesting situations. Um, there was the first person that happens to is a guy called Bezalel. Um, and he, um, he basically gets the Holy Spirit given to him in order to make things with his hands, to craft things, because these temples needed to be built that would kind of praise and worship God. Um, and they needed to be built in such a way that they were so complex and so detailed and, and so um, innovative and creative that it was beyond human skill. So this guy was, was anointed with the Holy Spirit so that he could make things with his hands that no man had ever made before. And you look at it and go, as if that would be the first time you'd use it, surely it'd be for something a bit more drastic than that. But actually, it gives us a little bit of an insight into this is how the Holy Spirit functions. It's about creativity, it's about innovation, it's about new things, it's about bringing about something fresh and changing things up. So when people talk about, oh, I don't really like change, the problem is when the Holy Spirit is working in situations, it brings about change. So if you don't like change, the Holy Spirit might not be your best friend because it, it causes us to to want to be uh, to to see the things that can be developed and changed and moulded and, and improved. 
So when we think about how the Holy Spirit um, fits into the Bible, we can see that it was involved in creation. Then it was on particular people at these particular times for a particular task. But there's this there's this pinnacle um, in the Bible where the Holy Spirit comes down and is available for everyone. Uh, and it's called the day of Pentecost. You read about it in, uh, in the book of Acts in the Bible. Um, but before we get to that point, the story of what happens in the Bible is quite interesting. So a quick run through. We start with creation. Um, then the world exists after it's been been formed. Uh, and people are, are trying to find their own way and work out how do I do life effectively. People are making loads and loads of mistakes. Then this thing called the flood happens, which is basically God looking at humanity and going, no one is with me. No one is interested in me. Everyone's walked away apart from this one guy Noah and his family so I'm going to send this flood wipe out the entire population of the world um, so that we can start again which seems like the most barbaric thing we'll look at that another time and um, seems like the most barbaric thing to do but it almost was them pressing a hard reset on creation that we want to start this thing again because mankind really I gave them this free will and this opportunity to do what they wanted to and they've completely ruined what I uh, what I wanted it to be like uh, but because God's not someone who's meddling throughout everyone's lives, he, he did this hard reset, which is which is barbaric. Um, but that was a key point in, in history um, when we look through the Bible. Then we see this group called the Israelites um, who come about. They're described as God's people. Um, and uh, and we see them journeying through different things, through challenges, through successes, finding their, their kind of home, all these kind of things. Then you move into uh, a time where we're always talking, the Bible's always talking about kings. Uh, and as it goes through all of these different kings, these rulers of these nations, uh, what you find is there's this to-in and fro-in of, of kings who decided that during their reign they would be uh, wanting to serve God with all their heart and wanting everyone to serve God. Um, and then other kings who were completely against God that would want everyone to focus on another God. So they'd always be uh, trying to destroy everything, destroying all the temples, all of the worship to God. That's all banned. That's all wrong. You'll be killed if you do any of that. So we, we find history then becomes this to-and-fro of some kings want to be for God, some kings want to be against God. But what, what actually then happens is through these times, it just creates this mass of confusion. So it becomes this slightly mental, uh, confusing time where no one really knows what's going on because um, society is constantly changing what it wants and what it wants to do. So I suppose what we're left with is confusion, um, exile, uh, away from God um, and distance. That's what we're left with. Um, and that's the story of the Old Testament. It's kind of God trying to connect with people, uh, doing this hard research, still trying to connect with people. He's got his own people, but people gradually are wandering and wandering and wandering, confused and in exile and distant from God. We then get this point, which is 400 years of silence. So God goes silent for 400 years, which is absolutely crazy. You look at it and just think, Man, that's not like that's not like he's just a little bit annoyed. Um, that's 400 years of silence. So God decides because of the way mankind keeps going out of control. He decides that I'm just going to go silent on them for 400 years. Now, I don't think God was kind of in a mood, but I think the way society had gone is it had slipped so far away from where he was trying to guide them that, that because he gave people free will, they kept going off in this this direction where actually God was left with no choice but to just step away and just be silent for 400 years which is multiple people's lifetimes 
So what happens over that time is people who've had encounters with God and experience of God, they all begin to die out. So what's left 400 years later is a group of people who have no particular personal encounter or or experience of hearing God or or knowing God because, um, because it's been so long since anyone's heard from him. But the amazing thing is at the end of that 400 years of silence... Um, is the most significant moment in the Christian kind of world and calendar. And that's when Jesus comes into the world. That 400 years of silence is broken by the sound of a baby crying that would save everyone, save the world. Um, and, And this, I suppose, leads us to this point where this was God's ultimate plan, that God's ultimate plan was was that actually the only thing that could truly save everyone is is him sending Jesus onto the earth and that after that 400 years of silence, this one life exists that will change society and the world forever if people choose to connect with it. And that beginning of that life um, would, would be so significant that it would fulfil 300, over 300 Old Testament prophecies. So people had written about the fact that this person would be born that would change the world forever that would be the savior people had written 300 over 300 prophecies were written that that um that told that that foretold that this would happen so that baby being born jesus being born begins to um start this new process of it's not going to work in the old way because that didn't work people just kept wandering and kept being distant were exiled from god but jesus is here to change the way this thing works uh, and as we looked at last time, Jesus' life shows us the potential of what human life could look like. There's no superpowers, no special powers, but just a life truly connected to God. And that's what it looks like. So what Jesus does, he lives that life. We see it. Then we see his death and his resurrection. And we see this this whole amazing story of of the even death that is that is inevitable for everyone. Even death can't hold Jesus. So the prophecies of who he was were, were true and proved by not only his life, but his death and his resurrection as well. So we see that this amazing example of, of God on earth um, was everything that we were told it would be. Um, and it was a, an amazingly powerful thing. But the interesting thing is, if it had only ever stayed like that, all Jesus would have become was this, this um, I suppose, this story that we'd keep telling. Uh, and, and what Jesus said in, in Acts 4, so um, Acts is... is um, the, the, the kind of book that talks about the beginning of the church and it starts right at the end of, of Jesus's life and, and starts by some of the things that he said so in Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 4 it says this as they met and ate their meals together that's the disciples and Jesus he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem this is just before he he ascended up to heaven uh, after he'd been resurrected um, it said, on no account to leave Jerusalem, but you must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you've heard from me. John baptised you in water, but you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit. So there's this sense that, that Jesus is, is pointing to, I'm going to go, but there's something coming that is even greater than me. There's something that's going to be available for you that's even greater than me. 
And Jesus wasn't the first person to mention this. He wasn't the, this wasn't this new revelation. There'd been this growing sense of anticipation over um, quite a few, um, over quite a long period of time that, that God would do something ultimately. Yeah, Jesus would come, but there'd be ultimately something that would come that would change the way we can all connect with God. If we look back into the Old Testament, there's a, a book called Jeremiah, which is a prophet. Uh, And in chapter 31, verses 33 to 34, this is what he says. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the lord for i will give them i will forgive them their wickedness and i will remember their sins no more so there's this sense from jeremiah that something is going to shift it's no longer going to be about um just people learning stuff knowing stuff and behaving in a certain way in order to get accepted by god there's something different um it, it says that i'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts i will be their god and they will be my people so it's a sense of that internally something will change that will connect you with God and allow you to know what he wants for you rather than you just reading it on tablets of stone and trying to obey a set of rules and laws. There'll be something inside of you that gives you a sense of uh, what I should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, another book in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will, remove, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So it's this definite shift that, that God is saying through these Old Testament things. So this is before Jesus, this is before anything, any of that stuff had happened. There's this sense that, that, that God's going to change things so it becomes about you connecting with him personally inside rather than you doing rituals and practices and behaving in a certain way in order to keep God happy. So there's something different that's going to happen. Uh, and I suppose what we... Um, what we see then is this is changing from being no longer about being about a particular gift for a particular person at a particular time, but actually it's, beginner, it's going to be something that will be available to every single person and can transform the way all of them work. And I suppose there's a sense of anticipation that builds. Uh, and when we get to Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, this is where we begin to see um, this moment where this, this spirit that is promised comes down to the earth. And this is where it says, uh, verses 2 to 4, says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they've just heard Jesus, uh, they've, just, they've, they've just been gathered in this house, the disciples. Jesus has gone. Uh, they're waiting in Jerusalem in anticipation for what he said was coming. Uh, and this is what happened. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, so not just particular people at a particular time for a particular task, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If we move on to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 37 to 39, then it says this, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, people, uh, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, um, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promises for you, every one of you and your children, not just those standing there, but the next generation and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this is described as the day of Pentecost. So there's this sense of anticipation that God's going to do something. Jesus says, wait here and, and something will come that will change the way everyone connects with, can connect with God. What then happens is this thing happens where tongues of what seem to be tongues of fire come down onto people, rest on people, and they start speaking in languages that no one's ever heard of before. And it's this sense of something suddenly has changed in these people. Then we read in those verses 37 to 39, people who were gathered around uh, begin to see all of this stuff happening. And they hear these people talking in other languages and see that something is going on. And there's this sense of... of Uh, I suppose, uh, wonder and amazement and awe of what's going on. And they listen to it going, what's happening? And and, and Peter, one of the disciples, says, well, actually, if you want this, you you can have it. But you need to to repent and be forgiven of your sins and and connect with God yourself. And then this can be for you. Uh, And and that's, I suppose, the point of change. The promise is for you. It's every one of you, your children, not just the people standing there talking to uh, Peter and the disciples and seeing what was going on. Um, but for everyone, all who are far off, um, for all, um, it says here, for all whom our, our God will call. Uh, and it, it's quite an amazing thing that, that it shifts. It's a big shift from being no longer just this particular um, task, particular person at a particular time. Um, but actually, it suddenly becomes this gift and this, this thing that's available uh, for all of us. So then it becomes something um, that that won't just change um, a few people's lives. It's something that will change everyone's lives. And I suppose then the the byproduct of that is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and is is active inside of you, uh, it not only transforms you, but it inspires you to be someone who then starts to make a difference to the lives of other people. And what we see then in Acts is this becomes the trigger for the beginning of the church. Um, So... Um, it it says here, um, the extraordinary historical phenomenon, which is the birth and the growth of the Christian church, beginning with a group of fishermen and tax collectors, an explosion in 300 years across the world, a peaceful revolution with no parallel in the history of the world. Countless millions of people down the ages have experienced God, People of every ethnicity, continent, nationality, every economic, social, intellectual background from all walks of life. They unite in this common experience of Christ. I suppose this is this is the point where it no longer becomes about rules and regulations. Jesus shows us this new way. Uh, He gives us this new connection with God. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is the thing that that joins us to God in a new way that we never that people never could have um, before. Um, So it really is uh, about unity. The word ecclesia, um, which is the word we often uh, use um, to describe church, it means the called out ones. And I suppose it's, it's describing people who are united in a cause, that the Holy Spirit is the thing that is common in each person who decides to um, to accept Jesus and, and have a relationship with him. That's the gift that comes as part of that agreement that we follow God. And the gift of the Holy Spirit then becomes the thing that unites each and every one of us. And the, the great thing is whenever we gather together, the, the beauty of that is that the Holy Spirit uh, is here with us, is, is part of what we do. 
And I suppose what we want to do as we do it is we want to be people who host the presence of God, host the spirit of God when we meet together, that when we worship, when we talk, when we when we listen to each other sharing what's going on in our lives, when we look at parts of the Bible, that that becomes an opportunity for something in each of us to be awakened um, because the Holy Spirit is is uh, I suppose leaping inside of us and and growing and and thriving inside of us because of the kind of things that we're doing and if you look at it especially when we look at the history of how everything was going out of control and uh, the flood uh, the, the Jesus coming into the world all this kind of stuff the plan actually makes sense we get shown an example of what a perfect life looks like the potential for every human being was shown that through Jesus but then actually the same spirit that was in Jesus is given to every single one of us. That, that if God wants us to be able to live our lives effectively, mankind proved before Jesus that it couldn't do it. It couldn't sustain it. But for God to put the spirit, the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us is the best way of us having a chance to be able to do what he wants us to do. That we've almost got this internal um, kind of connection uh, in our hearts, in our soul, in our mind that, that connects us to, to, uh, to God and what he wants, um, that's there to guide us and to, to lead us through life so that when we are wondering what to do, we've got this opportunity to, to connect with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us through what we want to do. And I suppose the reality is when we look at it and when we're honest, that plan makes sense. And if we can choose to accept a relationship with God, that's the gift that we get. What we understand is that we have everything that we need. Every single one of us has everything that we need to be able to live a life that is truly, um, as we talked about last time in the Good Samaritan, truly uh, a life that is eternal. Uh, that where we can live a life of purpose, of fullness, uh, truly connected with God. We have everything that we need because we've been given it. The problem is loads of people will, will accept the opportunity to go into a relationship with God, but sometimes won't properly activate this opportunity to have the Holy Spirit active in their lives. And you can kind of describe them as pilot-like Christians. So in a central heating system, we have this, uh, this boiler um, that can uh, has the potential and the power to heat the whole of the house. So um, that that boiler is run on a pilot light. It's a little um, flame that's permanently on inside that boiler. That when the boiler kicks into action, when when the boiler kind of bursts into life, the pilot light is used to spark that boiler into life, and the full potential of that boiler. Uh, is then realised because the whole hot water that's produced in that boiler goes around the entire house and it heats the entire property. That's the boiler doing the job that it's intended to do. But the problem is, if all we ever do is leave the boiler just with the pilot light on and never actually activate it to do its actual job, then the pilot light's on, but it's not really doing what it's supposed to do. And I think that's, that's what sometimes we can become as Christians, that we, we are uh, people who believe in God, we connect with God and, and all this kind of stuff. But without the Holy Spirit being active, we basically are almost a dormant, uh, in, in that respect, a dormant boiler, not particularly doing the thing that it was invented to do. Uh, we're just existing as a pilot-like Christian. So in order to, to fulfil everything that God wants us to do and, and fulfil our potential and be who he called us to be, Really, that, that pilot light needs to spark, that Holy Spirit needs to spark into action the rest of our lives 
um, so that we can begin to to fulfil um, what God's calling us to be. And I suppose the byproduct of things like that is we begin to see what we describe as as the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. When you become a Christian, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not like you magically get a fruit bowl of of fruit of the Spirit that that appears in your life and suddenly you are great at things like love, patience, kindness, self-control. There's other ones I've forgotten. Um, But but you haven't suddenly got all these attributes and characteristics and, and this fruit that fruit grows from seed. So what we find is as the Holy Spirit becomes more and more present in our lives, these things begin to grow and become more apparent in us. So if you do need more patience, more love, more kindness, more self-control, more gentleness, all of these different kind of things, we need to be kind of encouraging the Holy Spirit to be more and more active in the way that we do our lives. I suppose uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes we can, we can read about this kind of stuff. Uh, and one of the challenges we have is we can look at it and almost discount ourselves and go, well, I, just, I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I'm good enough or ready or, or able to be able to do that kind of stuff. And I think that's where understanding this concept of fruit growing is really important, that, that it's not about you, you activate the Holy Spirit inside of you and suddenly you are a completely different person and everything goes brilliantly for you and you're just a great example of everything. It's understanding, like with everything we've talked about, that this is all a process. This is uh, a gentle kind of um, development. I I always talk about God being the God of the gardener rather than the God of the microwave. In today's society, we want everything instantly. Within seconds, we expect to be able to have things that we want. We complain if things aren't the way we want them to be because we expect everything to be a certain standard. But actually, the way God works often is like a gardener. It's a slow, gradual process where things grow from a seed and develop um, and, and mature. And they need to be watered and, and uh, nurtured in order to uh, realise their full potential. And I suppose that's where we need to look at these kind of things. So we can feel inadequate. But the question really for us as a group is um, who needs equipping? Who needs help? Who needs strength? Now, you might be in a good space at the moment. You might be in a really tricky space, a really weak space. So it might just be that everything feels fairly standard and normal. But really, we need equipping for whatever the world throws at us. I I always say to people, I became a Christian when I was six. So everything bad that's ever happened to me since I was a Christian. So it's not this golden ticket to life working out. But what you do, what, what you do realise when you've lived a life with God for a while is that we, we sometimes have no control over what the world will throw at us, what challenges are around the corner. So the idea that we can be strengthened, helped and equipped, even when we might not feel like we need it, is really vital and important for our survival, sometimes with, with difficult patches that come around the corner. And I think the other thing to remember is... is it is there. This, this Holy Spirit gift is there to transform the way uh, we think and feel and we do life and especially our connection with God. But, but one of the challenges is the words that, that when they talk about in the Bible, they talk about being filled with the Spirit. The word that they're actually talking about means um, it, it's a continuous present tense is the word. OK, 
Um, so it's not meaning you are filled once with the Spirit and that, that should be enough to sustain you for the rest of your life. When it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's talking about being constantly filled with the Spirit, continuously being filled with the Spirit. And I suppose we would, uh, me and Ham would look at our lives and say, actually, we've, we've been bumped and bruised and broken through so many different things that have happened. We've probably got quite a few cracks um, in, our, in our shells so we might be filled with the spirit, but actually maybe sometimes that spirit leaks out uh, of the cracks um, and is something that, that we need topping up because it's not possible to sustain this one. Uh, we're not a vessel that sustains this one allocation of the Holy Spirit. And if you lose it, I'm sorry, guys, it's your fault. You've lost it. Actually, the expectation from God is that we constantly go back and we we constantly are being filled and reconnected and and we're we're asking God to give us more of the spirit there's never anything wrong with asking for more of that so i suppose that leads us to to the end of of what we're talking about today really that that the idea that god is with us uh, in the three persons of the trinity um so god the father god the son and god the holy spirit if we can connect with those things every single day that's a powerful way of transforming the way we not only look at each day and look at our lives, but, but, but feel like God is with us. God is interested. God is there. And actually, the, the Holy Spirit, for me, becomes one of the most uh, powerful and important things that can transform um, our way of life each day. Um, and for me, in my job, and I know in a lot of our jobs, uh, that creative side, that that innovation, that spark of imagination and that new way of thinking that the spirit often brings is the thing that I really crave in so much of my life. And what happens to me when I think that I've got it sussed or that I can do this or that I've got the ideas or I, I should know how to do this is probably then that I struggle. But when I function in a way that, that realises that my creativity and my innovation comes from someone who knows loads more than me, i.e. God, um, actually it's a much healthier position for me to be in. So what we wanted to do to, to finish today is, I suppose, give us an opportunity to stop again and think about our connection with the Holy Spirit. And those three questions are really relevant. Who needs equipping? Who needs help? Who needs strength? Um, who's feeling inadequate? Uh, and if you're in any of those brackets, then I want us to take a bit of time to, to just, I suppose, reconnect with God and ask for the Spirit to be kind of renewed in each of us. And for some of you, it might be it's the first time. Now, I'm not 100% sure how to do this. I've got a song I want us to listen to, and I want us just to... Um, it's a video um, with lots of really good looking people singing it so if you really want to look at that you can do um, and uh, watch all the musicians it's, it's, it's very interesting or you can just shut your eyes but I want us to focus on the words because this song talks all about that connection and talks about the tongues of fire um, and the opportunity and the power and the impact that connecting with the Holy Spirit can have on each of us um, and then off the back of it I want us. I, I, we, I want to pray. Want us to pray together. And how we do it, we'll see at the time. Maybe Han will get a kind of revelation of how best to do it. If people want us to pray for them, we can do that. But I think it'd be really good for us just to invite the Holy Spirit to to come and, and fill us all afresh. And if you've never had that before, then um, then we can we can pray for you. If I, equally, if you want to be prayed for later, 
then we'll we'll quite happily pray for you at the end if if you'd rather do that privately that's not a problem at all but i think recognizing the the importance and the power and the impact of the holy spirit is a is a really key thing um, to transform in how you can cope with each and every day and if we say as we've said from the start we want God to shape every single day and every single scenario and situation that we're in. Really, with the Holy Spirit active, the potential for God to do something way beyond what we could think or imagine is just multiplied because the Spirit is the thing that, that can really do something amazing in us. So we're going to uh, listen to this song. Um, so just take some moments to, um, I don't know, just bask in it a bit, really. And um, let's see what God does. Cool. Be 
Sim. Sim.